Our business is to communicate the light of the truth of the gospel. It's God's business to say, let there be light. Just like he had to say that in creation, he has to say that in every human heart. And that person you're sharing the truth with won't see the light until God says, let there be light. But our responsibility is to set the light before them. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom continues his current series with part six of The Power of Your Influence. What exactly is light? Have you ever really thought about that question? What is light? And what qualities do light and Christians have in common? Well, today, Tom will continue to explore those questions as he examines what Jesus says about influence in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. So let's join Tom as we discover more from God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. Jesus' point is that no one lights a lamp in order to hide it. You don't put the lamp you just lit under that measuring device for grain and hide its light. Verse 15 goes on to say, Instead, you put it on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. You put it up on a lampstand. You want it then, you still want today, your source of light to be up so that it spreads the most possible light. That's why even today we put our lamps on tables, or we get a floor lamp that's taller so that it casts light more broadly, or we even put our lights, attach them to the ceiling. Now, many first century homes had one room. That's the home of the poor people, just one room in which they lived. And there would have been in that room, and I've actually, in uh, archaeology, I've seen an example of this from the time of Jesus. There would have been like a stone shelf, just a small little carved out stone shelf that stuck out into the room, or sometimes they would put an actual lampstand in the center of the room. And as darkness fell, They would take that lone lamp with its olive oil, they'd light the wick, and set it on the lampstand up high so that it gave light for that entire little one-room house. Jesus says, of course, if you light an oil lamp, you do so in order to make the light seen as far as possible. You don't light it and hide it. What do you do when the power goes out at your house? Well, you're like me, you feel your way along to the drawer where you put the flashlights and You break out the flashlight and you turn it on. And then if you have a lantern of some kind, you go find that lantern with the flashlight and you take that lantern, if you expect the power to be out any time at all, and you place it in a strategic place in the room where your family is going to be together so that it provides the most possible light. The raison d'etre for a lamp is to be visible and to give light. And so it's ridiculous to hide it. It's ridiculous to make it obscure in some way. And Jesus is saying, the person who lit this lamp didn't do that. Now what's Jesus talking about? Who is Jesus talking about? In this metaphor, who lit the lamp and didn't put it under a bushel? I know the children's song we sing, you know, I'm not going to put my lamp under a bushel. That's not the point of this verse. Okay? The point of this verse is... God did this. God is the one who made us a lamp. God is the one who made us light. 
And he's done so with a specific purpose in mind. He intended to set us in a particular place so that we would give a light to all those around us. You realize God has sovereignly placed you where he's placed you? He's placed you in your own little corner of the dark world to be a light. You are still on earth for a purpose You are to be salt to stop the decay, and you're to be a light to those around you. That is the divine plan. You realize everything else we do as Christians, we'll do better in heaven. Our worship will be perfect in heaven. Our sanctification will be complete in heaven. Our prayers will be face-to-face in heaven. Everything else we do, we'll do better in heaven. So why doesn't God take us the moment we trust in Him to Himself? We are still here on this planet, not primarily for ourselves, but for the world. One commentator writes, the job description of a disciple is not fulfilled by private, personal holiness, but the witness of public exposure. Your Christian life is not about your warm and fuzzy personal devotion time. You're here on this planet. And by the way, I'm not being critical of that. You need that time. We'll talk about that in a little bit. I'm just saying that's not the reason you're here. You'll do that better in heaven. You're here on this planet for the world. Is that how you see your life? Is that the lens through which you see your existence? It's how God sees you. It's how Jesus sees you. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And that's why you're here. There's one final truth about our influence. It comes in verse 16. Our influence is prescribed. It's prescribed. Look at verse 16. In light of all that, Jesus says, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Jesus doesn't allow us to decide how we're going to apply this metaphor of light. He finishes this paragraph with a command, with a prescription for our behavior. What a lamp is to a house, you and I are to be to the world. Jesus says, if you're a Christian, God has made you to be light. And so let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. Now, a very important distinction needs to be made here. The goal is not for them to see our good works. In fact, look over chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. In other words, your motive cannot be to be seen and to be admired. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Look at verse 2. The hypocrites give in the synagogues and in the streets. They give their alms visibly and openly where everybody sees it so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. If your motive is to let your light shine so that people see your light shine, you miss the whole point. Look down at verse 5 of chapter 6. The hypocrites love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. Listen, if you approach what verse 16 of chapter 5 commands of us with the desire that your reputation would grow, that you would be thought super religious and pious and pure and holy and a wonderful person, you miss the point entirely. In fact, I'd go so far as to say you perverted the point. You've turned it on its head. 
So how do we reconcile what we just saw in Matthew chapter 6 with what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, let your light shine so that others may see your good works? How do you reconcile those? I can't do better than Matthew Henry, the old Puritan commentator. Listen to what he writes. We must do good works that may be seen to the edification of others, but not that they may be seen to our own ostentation. We are bid to pray in secret, and what lies between God and our souls must be kept to ourselves. But that which is of itself open and obvious to the sight of men, we must study to make congruous to our profession. Those about us must not only hear our good words, but see our good works, that they may be convinced that religion is more than a bare name, and that we do not only make a profession of it, but abide under the power of it. Seeing our good works isn't the goal. It is merely the means to the true goal. The real goal, the only legitimate goal, is that the people around us glorify our Father who is in heaven. In other words, do you understand this? The goal of our good works in this passage is not to make life better for the world. Let's make it a nicer planet on which to live. The goal is not to make our lives better. If we can just change the way unbelievers act and behave, our lives will be a whole lot easier. The goal is not so that they imitate our virtue. The goal is not so they think we're great. Wow, don't you love our neighbors? They are just wonderful people. The goal is that they will come to recognize the sole source of the difference in us, and that is our Father who is in heaven. Look at Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. And Titus is all about adorning the gospel, living in such a way as to make the gospel attractive turning the light on the beauty of the gospel and of Jesus by how we live. The first few verses of chapter 2 talk about how older men are to behave and younger men, older women, younger women. But look at the reasons that are given. Look at verse 8. So that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. And look at the end of verse 10. So that when we live as we ought to live, in whatever circumstance we find ourselves so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. In other words, when we live like we ought to live, it makes the doctrine of a rescuer attractive because it's clear we've been rescued. We've been changed. We're different. We're not the people we used to be. 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11 Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. You're an alien. You're a stranger here. You don't belong here. This is not your permanent home. This is your temporary home. So remember that. And verse 12, keep your behavior excellent. I love that word excellent. It means morally beautiful and attractive. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. That is among unbelievers is the idea so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. When God visits, they glorify Him. That might be when He visits them in their lives and they come to Christ because of our testimony and they glorify Him in that, or it might be at the judgment when they have to say, God you gave me light. You gave me light in conscience. You gave me light in your word. And you even gave me the light of those Christians you scattered throughout my life 
who showed the beauty of the gospel and showed me my sin by how they lived. That's what we're to do. But how exactly do we shine as lights to the people around us? How do we shine as lights? There are three primary ways in the New Testament. One of them is here in this text. There are two others. First of all, we shine in our characters by being a picture of Jesus and the gospel, by who we are. This is the Beatitudes. By being the person we ought to be, we shine. We expose the sin of the people around us because we're pursuing righteousness And we show the beauty of Christ in the gospel because we're different because of how we are. John Chrysostom, one of the great expositors in the history of the church, wrote, Nothing makes a man so illustrious as the manifestation of virtue, for he shines as if clad with sunbeams. Isn't that true? We've all known people who weren't falsely pious. They were just genuine Christian people. And they were winsome, and they made the gospel and Christ winsome by how they lived. We shine by being a picture in our characters of Jesus and the gospel. You see, when we live out the Beatitudes, or in Pauline language, when we live out the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, etc., we are reflecting the character of Jesus Christ. That's who He is. And we're shining then, not to the same intensity, but shining in the same way that he shone. A second way that we serve as a light to the world is not only by our character, but by our good works. By living out the implications of the gospel. That's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. That they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. This has always been true. Even in Old Testament times, there's a proverb, Proverbs 4.18 says, The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. The way of the wicked is like darkness, and they do not know over which they stumble. This has always been true. The righteous are on the path of light. What does that mean? Well, Jesus says it means good works. Ephesians chapter 2, look at verse 10. As Paul finishes a paragraph about our being regenerated, why God has rescued us from sin, he gives several reasons. And in verse 10, he gives this reason. Here's one reason why God made us alive. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. Listen, God saved you in order that you would reproduce the life of Christ in your own. That you would do good works and that those good works would shine and reveal His glory. Over in chapter 5 of Ephesians, verse 8, he says, you were formerly darkness, but now you were light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. By our good deeds, we reveal the light. And in context of Ephesians 5, it's talking about our sexual purity. By remaining sexually pure in our language, by remaining sexually pure in our thoughts, by remaining sexually pure in our actions, we are light. Now, you talk about something that exposes the sin of the world. When a Christian is pure, it exposes that sin, but it also makes the purity and holiness of Christ attractive as well. Look at Philippians chapter 2. Paul continues this theme, and you're not going to like the application of this, let me just tell you. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Uh Uh-oh. 
He's saying in context, face the circumstances of your life without grumbling about them and complaining about them. And when you do that, first of all, you'll prove yourselves to be a blameless and innocent children of God. In other words, it'll be an evidence of your salvation because unbelievers don't do that. Unbelievers complain and grouse about their circumstances if they don't suit them. And notice what else he says, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, you will appear as lights in the world. And here are the images of us being stars in the middle of a dark night sky. You'll be like, you'll be like stars in the darkness if you will face your circumstances without grumbling and complaining. Think about it. Can you really tell someone else, I serve a great and sovereign God when in the next breath you're complaining about what that sovereign God has brought into your life, we're to glorify Him by our behavior, by no complaining. But notice Philippians 2 goes one step further. Verse 16, we also glorify Him. We also are lights by holding, probably better, forth. You see the marginal note there. Holding forth the word of life, both by our good works not complaining in, against God's sovereignty in our circumstances and His providence in our circumstances, but also by communicating the truth of the gospel. Look over at Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, verse 14. Christ gave Himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who will be zealous for good deeds. That's why He redeemed us. Chapter 3, verse 1, remind the believers, Paul says to Titus, to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed. Verse 8, this is a trustworthy statement, and concerning these things I want you to speak confidently, so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. Now to verse 14. Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. Hebrews even tells us that when we gather together on the Lord's Day, part of the intention of that, according to Hebrews 10.24, is that we would stimulate one another to good deeds. We would encourage one another to do good deeds. Lloyd-Jones puts it this way, whether we like it or not, our lives should always be the first thing to speak. And if our lips speak more than our lives, it will avail very little. So often the tragedy has been that people proclaim the gospel in words, but their whole life and demeanor has been a denial of it. We shine as lights by our character. When we are in ourselves a picture, in our characters, a picture of Jesus in the gospel. By our good works, when we live out in our lives the implications of the gospel. There's one final way that we shine as lights, and that is by our message, by proclaiming Jesus and the gospel. Look at 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says in verse 2 that he is, the end of verse 2 there, we're manifesting the truth, we're making the truth obvious, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. He's saying we teach the truth of the gospel, but if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. One of the ways we shine as lights in the world is just like Paul. 
We manifest the truth of the gospel, commending it to every man's conscience. We put the light of the truth of the gospel in front of them. You say, well, Paul says here they they can't see it because they're blind. Yeah, that's not our business. Our business is to communicate the light of the truth of the gospel. It's God's business, look at verse 6, to say, let there be light. Just like he had to say that in creation, he has to say that in every human heart. And that person you're sharing the truth with won't see the light until God says, let there be light. But our responsibility is to set the light before them. The light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ. So what Jesus means by good works then includes all of those. It's a three-legged stool. Remove one of those legs and the entire stool collapses. For example, we can be what we ought to be and we can do what we ought to do in good works, but if we fail to proclaim Jesus and the gospel, we've not been a light to the world around us. On the other hand, if we share the gospel, but we fail to be what we ought to be and to do what we ought to do, we undermine the very gospel we've proclaimed. As one author puts it, we are called both to spread the gospel and to frame our manner of life in a way that it's worthy of the gospel. Balancing all of that, has proven to be a real challenge to the church over the last 150 years. And today, it is a huge issue. Listen closely. We're only light because of Jesus. Jesus is the sun, and we, like the moon, only shine because we reflect his light. But unlike the moon, our light is not solely a reflected light. He has also made us light, according to Ephesians 5.8. But we can only shine when we're connected to Him. When I was in college, high school, college, and seminary, I supported myself by being an electrician. But you don't have to be an electrician to appreciate this illustration. You've got light bulbs in your pantry or in your garage or in a closet somewhere in your house. Light bulbs you haven't used. You can take one of those light bulbs out of the package and you can hold it and wish that it would give light all you want. You can hold it until you go to sleep at night and there'll be no light from that light bulb because that light bulb doesn't have the capacity to shine on its own. The same is true for us. We have no capacity to generate light ourselves. We're only light when we're connected to the power source, when we're connected to the true light. And it's from Him we receive the light to shine. And we are to shine for Him right now, today. You are to be a light in the way we've talked about in your home and in your school and in your workplace and in your neighborhood and in the organizations to which you're a part. You must be the gospel by being a different person than they are. You must live out the implications of the gospel by obeying what Christ has taught us and letting them see a changed life and good works. And you must open your mouth and share the gospel. But let's just be honest. Even if we do all of those things today, our light, it's just a flicker. Let me tell you something very encouraging. That won't always be true. Someday, your light will be a massive flame. Jesus in Matthew 13 says this, In the kingdom of their Father, then the righteous will shine forth as the sun. That's not Christ. That's you. Until then, may God help us to flicker where we are. Let's pray together.
That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part six of The Power of Your Influence. Tom will have part seven for you next time. Do join us. Now, before we leave you, here again is Tom with some closing thoughts. So you and I need to understand that God has made us light, and he has sovereignly put us in specific places to be that light. We're going to expose ugly things in the lives of others by simply being who we are in Jesus Christ. And they're not going to like it any more than they liked it in Christ. And we're also going to show things that are beautiful, like Christ and and his gospel. Our prayer should be, our passion should be, that the Lord would help us to shine through our characters, through our actions, and through our mouths as we open our mouths and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others, and in so doing, to be a light in the dark world. Thanks, Tom. And friend, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And be sure to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening. The Word Unleashed exists because God, in His Word, has given you every spiritual resource you need to grow in Jesus Christ. It's our prayer that the power of God's Word be unleashed in your life.